Welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we teach and preach the truth of the Catholic faith without compromise and without apology. We want to give you high energy and non-boring Catholicism, where anyone at any time can come to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why. We do apologetics, spirituality, other religions, our culture, and more. Most of all, we want to inspire you, inform you, and help you to know, love, and live your Catholic faith with purpose and passion. We are Catholic Truth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Catholic Truth. We're going to be debunking the Bible flock box video on 10 reasons why I left the Catholic Church. And this is not going to be a condemnation of this person, but we're going to be correcting the pretty serious errors and misunderstandings that he has about both Catholicism and the Bible. And we're going to invite him back to the true church of Jesus Christ that he left that was started by Jesus 2,000 years ago. This will be part one of three, and we're going to be debunking debunking this in depth because many people said there aren't any in-depth videos out there debunking his arguments. And so we're going to take these on and go in depth to show you why his arguments don't hold up and why, in fact, they're gravely erroneous. We are happy to be debunking the 10 reasons why he left the Catholic faith, and we're going to show how each and every one of them don't hold up and are gravely mistaken. So, I can just say right off the bat that this unfortunate soul didn't even know his faith before he left. He didn't know his Catholic faith. And then he went and learned the Catholic faith from non-Catholics. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, I don't even know if he's read a single Catholic source, a single Catholic book, or a single Catholic document. And this is proven by the fact that at the very beginning of his video, he said that he made his first communion, he learned to pray the rosary, and he rarely attended church. (laughs) Now, any informed Catholic would know the errors of this right away. Number one, First Communion is like the second or third sacrament out of seven. Notice he didn't say, I made my confirmation, which comes after that. Notice how he didn't say, I made my first reconciliation. He just said communion, which you make him like third grade in most places. So perhaps he just has a third grade understanding of his Catholic faith and he never went back to church after that. He said he learned to pray the rosary, but he didn't actually stick with it because later in the video, as we're going to see, he had to look up online to learn how to pray the rosary and what it was about. And finally, he said he sometimes rarely attended church, which is the core foundation of the Catholic faith. Missing Mass is a mortal sin. It's one of the most serious sins in the Catholic faith because you don't get to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And so already, right away, he's showing that he's a third grade level understanding of the faith. He probably never went back after First Communion in third grade. So how could he know his Catholic faith enough to say whether it was true or false? So in this video, we want to invite him to take a second look at the true Catholic faith and not the one that he learned from non-Catholics. The next thing he said is that he didn't have a turning point in his life until he started seeking God. Apparently, though, he started seeking God outside the Catholic faith, because if he had sought God in the Catholic faith, he probably wouldn't have left. But let's move on to the errors and get on to number one. We're going to show in his own words what he said, and then we're going to answer him. Here's what he says about the Pope. Number one, the Pope is not the Holy Father. One of the Pope's unofficial titles is Holy Father. This is a title that belongs to God alone. And the reason Jesus said to avoid calling people Father in a religious sense, according to Barnes' notes on the Bible, is because the word Father also denotes authority. 
eminence, superiority, a right to command, and a claim to particular respect. In this sense, it is used here. In this sense, it belongs eminently to God and it is not right to give it to people. Christian brethren are equal. Only God has supreme authority. So obviously this young man says that the Pope is not the Holy Father. Nobody can be the Holy Father except God. And saying that the Pope is Holy Father is blasphemy because he's usurping God's place. Now, first of all, he quotes the Bible quite <laughs> clearly out of context. Second of all, he doesn't look at the rest of scriptures and he doesn't understand what the titles mean. The word holy means set apart. So in one sense, God is eternally perfectly holy. He's holy, 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 as the book of Revelation says. But in another sense, the word holy means to be set apart. Like Israel was called to be holy, set apart. That's why they had the holy temple, holy oils, the holy priesthood. They had the holy of holies. I mean, everything was literally called to be holy. The people were called to be holy. We're called to be holy in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're called to be holy because we're called to be set apart. But people who have a special ministry from God, just as the Israelites were called to be holy because they were set apart for God, they weren't usurping God's holiness. They were set apart for him. So the Pope was set apart for a special task as our priests in the Catholic Church, which is why we call them all Father, because they're set apart for the work of God, not trying to usurp the holiness of God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 3, it says that all fatherhood, whether in heaven or on earth, derives its fatherhood from God the Father. So whether you're a father or a spiritual father, you're sharing the fatherhood of God. He allows you, he allows me, he allows us to share in that fatherhood. And we can prove this from the Bible. He quotes one verse from Matthew 23, 9 to show that you're not allowed to call any man father. But of course, Protestants take this verse way out of context. For anyone who reads the Bible, you can see that what he's teaching is not true because Jesus calls men father. Did he ignore his own teachings in Matthew 23, 9? Paul calls men father. Luke calls men father. John, his apostle, calls men father. I mean, did John just ignore Jesus? Did John just say, oh, I don't agree what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 9. I'm going to call men father. He did. Almost everyone in the New Testament calls men father, both earthly fathers and spiritual fathers, because he's quoting the Bible out of context. James 2, 21 says, was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac. Likewise, 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says, I became your father in the gospel. In Romans chapter 4, Paul uses the word father six times to refer to Abraham as a spiritual father in the faith. So all over the New Testament, and we could give many, many, many verses that prove this, but all over the New Testament, men are called father because that is not what Jesus meant. He also left out the verse where it says, don't call any man teacher, but yet we call people on earth are teacher. And he goes on to say that all Christian brethren are equal in God's eyes. No, we are all equal in God's eyes, but not in authority. There is a hierarchy of the church, which is why Peter alone received the keys of the kingdom, which is why the apostles had a special authority and they didn't have a community with all the people to get their opinions on the matter, which is why the church in the New Testament says that there's bishops and there's deacons and then there's apostles and there's people who do miracles. There's different types of gifts, there's different types of levels, and there's different types of hierarchy in the church. Matthew 18, 15 through 18 says, if you have a problem with your brother, bring it to him. If he doesn't listen, bring it to 
to two or three other people. If he doesn't listen to them, bring it to the church, authoritative church. Now, if you're a Baptist, which church do you bring it to? The Pentecostal one or your church? The Pentecostals aren't going to listen to you. There's only one church, and that's the Catholic church that's been here since the beginning of time, and it's authoritative. And that's why Peter alone received the keys of the kingdom of heaven, but all the apostles received Jesus' authority in John 20, 21 through 23, and in Matthew 18, 15 through 18, where they received the power to bind and loose, which are terms of authority, priestly terms of authority. So my friend here is mistaken, and we're going to go on to part two about Mary. Mary can't hear your prayers. The Catholic Church claims that Mary is in heaven now, and that she is a co-redeemer with Christ. But if you've watched my video entitled 10 Facts About Death, you'll know that's not true. Most believers are asleep in the grave, waiting to be resurrected at the second coming of Christ. Now, there are some exceptions, including Enoch, Moses, and Elijah, who are in heaven now, according to the Bible. But the Bible never says that Mary went to heaven. And, according to the Catholic Church, she intercedes for sinners, and the grace of Jesus her Son is bestowed through her. Therefore, Catholics are encouraged to pray to her and ask her to intercede on behalf of their prayers. However, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Mary can't hear our prayers. He just assumes that, even though he has no proof of that. And he goes on to say that there's only three people in heaven right now. He mentions Elijah. He mentions uh, Moses and Enoch. And these three people, he says, are in heaven. And everyone else is supposed to be sleeping until the end of time. And then we'll all go up to heaven. But... This isn't a Christian teaching. I mean, some very small sects within Christianity do teach this, but the majority of mainline Christianity for 2,000 years teaches that we go to heaven when we die. Hebrews 9 says we die and then comes the judgment, and then we go to heaven or we go to hell. But we do go to heaven. Look at Revelation 6, 9. It says that there are souls under the altar in heaven who are talking to Jesus. They were the martyrs on earth. And they were wondering when Jesus was going to get revenge for their martyrdom. And they said, how long, Lord, do we have to wait? When are you going to avenge our souls? And Jesus said, a little bit while longer, and then I will avenge your souls. And then, of course, we see in Revelation where the vengeance does come out upon the enemies. But we see these people in heaven. They're cognizant. They're living. They know what's going on. And they're conversing with Jesus in heaven. So this alone shows that there's more than three people in heaven. He rightly says that Catholics go to Mary and ask for her intercession. But then he oddly goes to 1 Timothy 2.5 and says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the person, Jesus Christ. As if Mary intercedes to the Father for us, it doesn't work that way. Mary intercedes to Jesus for us. So she prays on our behalf to Jesus. And Jesus, the perfect mediator, which Catholics believe in, goes to the Father perfectly for us on our behalf. Now, I bet this guy prays for other people, and I bet other people pray for him. And I can say with surety that every time he prays for someone, he's making himself a mediator. He's putting himself in between them and Jesus, the same way Mary does. And every time he asks other people to pray for him, he's making them mediators because they're praying for him on his behalf. But 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says that it's okay and it's good to pray for each other because we all 
pray for each other, the body of Christ, and we all go to Jesus. And Jesus, the perfect mediator, takes all our prayers perfectly before the Father. So Jesus is still the mediator who goes before the Father. He's still the one who goes on our behalf. It's not Mary who goes there. It's Mary who goes to Jesus just as we do and just as he does. So there's no problem. She's not usurping his mediation in any way. The next thing he says in this section is that Catholics communicate to the dead and therefore practice necromancy. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but it, some things that non-Catholics say about us are, are, are kind of funny. Just their misunderstandings are so off base that they're a little bit funny. Now, I don't mean to poke fun at him in any way. It's just, it's a little humorous. Not to mention communication with the dead is specifically forbidden by the Bible. A necromancer is someone that communicates with the dead. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. An abomination is something that is especially offensive to God. And the reason why God doesn't want us communicating with the dead is because those spirits who claim to be departed spirits of the dead are actually demons in disguise pretending to be dead people to deceive us and lead us away from God and the truths of his word. Necromancy is where you conjure up the dead. See, in the Old Testament, there were no souls in heaven or hell yet. They all went to what's known as the waiting place. They were unconscious. They were just waiting there. And so in order to talk to the dead, you literally had to conjure them up through like seances or witchcraft or some demonic occultic power in order to communicate with them. And we saw some of that in the Old Testament, which is why in Deuteronomy 18, necromancy and other occultic practices are condemned, and rightly so. The Catholic Church condemns them. Catechism of the Catholic Church condemns necromancy, communicating with the dead, and all that sort of thing. But it, here's the thing. The dead were the dead because they weren't alive. They couldn't hear you. They didn't know anything. They, they were just literally dead. They were in the waiting place. But since Jesus rose from the dead, he shattered death. He shattered sin. He shattered the devil. And he rose these people from the dead, and they are now alive in heaven with him. So all these people who he brought up to heaven are alive and they are one with him and they are perfected in his righteousness. And so when we talk to the saints in heaven, they're not dead anymore. They're alive for God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And those in heaven, as we saw in Revelation 6, 9 are alive and we can communicate to them by the power of God working in them. The third reason he gave for leaving the Catholic Church is he said that priests can't forgive sins. Here's what he says. Number three, priests can't forgive your sins. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that priests have the right to absolve people of their sins through the act of confession. But when Jesus told a paralytic man that his sins were forgiven, Mark chapter 2 verses 6 through 7 says, But there was certain of the scribes sitting there, and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? When a man claims to be able to forgive people for their sins, that is blasphemy. He says that priests can absolve sins, but then goes on to say that only God can forgive sins. And he seems to have a great misunderstanding about the difference between absolution and actual forgiveness because the Catholic Church also teaches that only God can forgive sins. Only God is capable of forgiving sins. And in fact, even in confession, the priest does not forgive sins. He only 
brings about that forgiveness. He's, in a sense, the channel of that forgiveness by which it comes about. He's the authority that God chose, but it's God who forgives the sin each and every time through Jesus Christ. Let's look at the verse that he quoted in John 20, 21 through 23, where Jesus gives the apostles the power and authority to forgive sins, to bring that forgiveness about. Listen to what he says. He says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, how did the Father send Jesus? Why did the Father send Jesus? The answer is to bring forgiveness and redemption into the world and to reconcile people back to God. And now he's saying, I'm sending you out to go do the exact same thing, to bring forgiveness into the world and to reconcile people back to God. And then in the very next verse, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive men's sins, they will be forgiven. And if you don't, they won't. They will be retained. So he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Now, this is only the second time in the entire Bible God has breathed on someone. The first time was in the Garden of Eden when he breathed new life into Adam and Eve. And now he's breathing his divine life, his authority to go out and forgive sins and also do miracles and raise the dead and do all the things he needed them to do. He's giving them that authority in his name, but especially to forgive sins, which is why the next verse says, if you forgive men's sins, they will be forgiven. But if you retain them, they will be retained. This man says that it's about having the authority to go out and preach the gospel <laughs> and decide who can be baptized and who can't be. But where does the Bible say that? The Bible doesn't actually say that anywhere. That's literally not in this passage, and it's not in any other passage. It actually says that they will have the power to forgive sins or retain them. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says that they've also received the ministry of reconciliation to bring about that reconciliation in people's lives. So many people try to do such gymnastics, such mental gymnastics, to get around these plain verses of Scripture where Jesus gave his authority to the apostles. There's nothing in the New Testament anywhere about the keys of the kingdom or Jesus in John chapter 20 or anything else just being a green card to preach the gospel. That is a man-made tradition that they are adding on to the Holy Scriptures. So these are the first three reasons why this man said he left the Catholic Church, but as we can see, all of them are erroneous. They're fallacious reasons for leaving the Catholic Church. He didn't understand Catholicism, and he didn't understand the Bible. You're going to see right away part four. The fourth reason he gives is that he says the rosary is useless. He said at the beginning of the video that he learned to pray the rosary. We're going to see that he didn't actually know how to pray the rosary. He had to look it up online, see what it was about, and he said, he actually quotes online. He says, oh, it says on this website. If he knew the rosary, he wouldn't have had to do that. But he actually doesn't understand anything about the rosary. And the rosary is an extremely powerful prayer. And if you want to see a true conversation that I had with a Protestant pastor about the rosary, who gives many of the same objections this guy does, and uh, see what I told him and see how he actually said, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. Now, that's a Protestant pastor saying the rosary makes a lot of sense. So you can check that out and make sure to check out part two and three when they come out as well. And when they do, we'll link them down below and at the end of this video and here as well. But thank you for watching this video. Please share these things. Most people who leave the Catholic Church do so because they don't know the Catholic faith. They never knew their Catholic faith to begin with. They didn't understand it. It didn't mean much to them. They didn't practice their faith. So, of course, they're going to leave. But the converse of that is that so many Protestants are flooding into the Catholic Church who knew their faith and who 
didn't like the Catholic faith, but learned about it and discovered that it's the true church of Jesus Christ. We're talking about scholars, heads of seminaries. We're talking about Protestant theologians. Some of the brightest people in the Protestant world are becoming Catholic. Whereas so many people who don't even understand their Catholic faith, well, they're becoming Protestant. And it's not a joke and it's not a mockery. It's just the reality of it. And we want to pray for this young man. And we want to pray for all people who have left the church. And we want to invite them to take a second look at the Catholic faith. Watch our videos, which will teach you what we really believe. Pick up a book and read a book about the Catholic faith. I'd say 90, 95% of people who have left the Catholic church have never read a single book about it. So how can they know what Catholics truly believe? And we want to invite you to do that. Please help us to share this message and get it out there. And please help us to bring more Catholics home. Please help us in our work. Please consider helping to support our ministry on Patreon monthly or on PayPal monthly, one time or yearly. We will link those below along with our Facebook and our Instagram. And we thank you so much for watching. Please pray for us. We will be praying for you. God bless you.